0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Switch Podcast, I'm Jake.
1: And I'm also Jake, and today it's such an honor for the Switch Podcast crew to welcome radio play-by-play announcer for the Mets, Wayne Randazzo. Thank you for joining us, Wayne, and we can't wait to get started. So Wayne, I hope you've been staying safe during the quarantine, and as a Mets fan, it's such an honor to have you on, so how have you been?
2: I'm uh, doing okay, ready to ready to get back to baseball, hopefully, uh, you know, it looks like that's going to be happening soon.
0: Um, yeah, so are we, of course, all, I think all baseball fans are, it's a lot different, but we all definitely are, so, um, we hope that you and your family are staying safe, and let's start this interview, so we're going to start with some just normal questions, and our first one, something you probably get a lot, like, when you were when you're, when you're young, did you play, like, any sports, or were you just, like, into, like, broadcasting, like, and, like, just recording, like, stuff about, like, sports and stuff?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I played uh, I played baseball growing up, and, and did that through high school. Um, you know, it was mostly the sport I played. I played some I played some basketball in the yard and stuff, but mostly it was I was a baseball guy, and uh, really uh, enjoyed playing the game and learning about the game and watching it on TV and all that. So it was uh, it was always my first love, and I'm happy to uh, and, and fortunate to be a part of the game the way that I am.
1: So, at what time in your life did you really know you wanted to be in broadcasting? Kind of.
2: Well, I was pretty young. I I was always uh, interested in watching baseball on TV, and was was always fascinated by the announcers and on the radio as well. Um, you know, growing up in Chicago, there was a ton of of great announcers to listen to and to, to hear every day, like Harry Carey, and you know John Rooney with the White Sox, and. Yeah, and Pat Hughes, who ended up doing Cubs radio when I was still a kid, still does it now. So it's uh, you know they've always had great announcers in Chicago. Tom it was a big influence on me wanting to be a broadcaster. He was he was a really young broadcaster at the time, working with the Cubs, and it was uh, you know watching him and how good he was, and, and you know felt like I, I wanted to do that too. Plus, you know how fun Harry made it. So you know it was uh, it was just always something that I was attracted to and have fortunate uh, the opportunities to, to pursue this.
0: So, speaking of the, of, the, of the White Sox, when you were growing up, what was your favorite team and player just to look up to? Not, report, not like broadcaster, but like player and team.
2: Well, you know, I, I was a big Ryan Sandberg fan. Sandberg was uh, the second baseman for the Cubs, and, and he was just really fun to watch because he made it look so easy on the field. He was he was effortless playing second base and, and he made every play and he won the gold glove every year. I think he won it nine years in a row. You know, he was always in the all-star game. He was always in the MVP running and you know, obviously ended up being a, a Hall of Famer. But you know, watching him play every day was, was always really fun for me because of how good he was and how easy he made it look. You know, Robin Ventura was another guy that I really liked with, at, at the time with the White Sox. Of course, he came to the Mets later. But Robin was kind of the same way. He was just—he uh, was really easy to watch play. Uh, he was a great left-handed hitter. Always seemed to come through in the clutch. You know, he, that grand slam single in the playoffs was not a fluke. He hit many, many grand slams in his career, and uh, you know, was up is, is up among the all-time leaders in career grand slams. So he, he was always very clutch and a, another kind of quiet but extremely good baseball player to, to watch every day.
1: So in the be- in the beginning of your broadcasting career, you worked for the CBS Chicago Radio. So what kind of did you learn
2: there, like broadcasting? Well, I worked for six seventy the score in Chicago, which is you know similar to WFAN in New York, and I did the sports updates, you know, every half hour on the score, um, you know, which was a good way for me to get some experience in a, in a big city and, and be on the air. So I was able to um, to do that, thankfully to to Mitch Rosen and the people in Chicago that, that allowed me to do that. Um, and then eventually I started hosting some shows. I hosted a baseball talk show uh, called Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine. And, you know, eventually uh, started doing a lot of play-by-play as well with the Big Ten Network, you know, with ESPN, and was trying to, to fill in and find opportunities. So, you know, it all just uh, kind of came together while I was working in Chicago and I was, was able to then... You know, use all that experience to land in New York with the Mets and and finally get an opportunity to to be in the major leagues, which is what I wanted. You know, I I had done a little bit of part-time stuff with the White Sox, just kind of filling in on on the pregame show and the postgame show and and was looking for a a full-time opportunity to do that, which I got in New York.
0: So, speaking of which, you also worked a few other jobs in in Chicago, including the play-by-play announcer for ESPN Radio, the Big Ten Network, MLB Network, Sports USA, and you also were a play-by-play announcer for the King County Cougars, single-A for the Chicago White Sox, and WNBA Chicago Sky. So, what was your experience like working for all these different teams and different sports and for different networks? yeah I think you know, for young
2: broadcasters that's that's a really good uh, look at what you kind of have to do to get experience, right? you have to you have to take on as much as you can and you know i was I was fortunate that I was able to be in a big city and and was able to find all these different teams and that they were able to you know let me do the games. you know I didn't do a whole lot of games for the Chicago Sky, but I did a few and I did one of their playoff games and you know, it was it was fun. It was fun to be around the, the WNBA and, and and to watch women's basketball at that level. Um, you know, the Big Ten Network was was my first TV opportunities. They they put me on for baseball and softball, and you know, kind of kind of let me uh, get some some TV reps when I never had any. And you know, for a, a company like the Big Ten Network, you know, they didn't they didn't have to do that. That was that uh, was something that you know really worked out in my favor. And now, eventually, I, I ended up doing. College football for them, and, and men's and women's basketball. So, it's uh, you know, it, it turned out to be a good thing there. I did ESPN work, and, and I've, now I've done the NFL on ESPN Radio, and I've done a lot of college basketball for them too. Same for FS1 and Fox. You know, I, I started doing some college hoops for them the last couple of years. So, it's been uh, it's been a good ride, and, and I've been able, you know, to network and and find opportunities at, at pretty pretty high levels.
1: So you kind of mentioned this in the beginning, but as you kind of gained more success in the broadcasting industry, were there any other broadcasters you looked up to, like you said, when you were younger?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's always people that when you're younger you look up to. Um, but, you know, as I kind of got into it a little bit more, you know, Len Casper, the Cubs TV announcer, was someone who, who was very... Um, giving as far as advice and, and being able to talk to uh, Mike Farron, who now does Diamondbacks games. He hired me for my first internship in, in radio at WGN in Chicago. Um, Andy Mazur, who's now doing White Sox games, was, was influential. Dave in it. And there's just so, so many people that were helpful to me along the way. Joe Block from the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, gave me some great advice about, you know, broadcasting Major league games in the month of September, once the minor league season ended, to try to get an empty booth at a major league game because there's always a couple. And, you know, maybe some PR staff will let me do it, and they did. And I was able to get a great game at Wrigley Field, which helped me get the Mets job. So, you know, there's been so many people along the way who've helped me and, and, and given me great advice. Uh, I've, I've kind of grown up in the industry with some great friends of mine, Joe Davis, who I worked with in the minor leagues, who is now the voice of the Dodgers and a big shot at Fox. Adam Amin, who I also met around the same time, who is, is from the Chicago area and just got TV job for the Bulls and, and is also now at Fox. Um, you know, even Steve, Steve Gels, who, uh, who I'm close to and have become great friends with, uh, another guy who's worked really hard and, and has, has made a, a name for himself in the industry. And, you know, we've all kind of had similar stories about just grinding our way through and, and being able to, to use our work ethics to, to get to a good spot.
0: So in 2015, in 2015, you were hired for NMS radio doing pregame and postgame. So, what was that huge achievement like for you?
2: Yeah, it was a really fun year. I mean, to, to have that you be your first season with a new team, and in my case, my first year in the major leagues—to go to the World Series and to cover a team that won the division and, and had those great playoff wins in, in Los Angeles and in Chicago. Yeah, you know, it was exhilarating. It was—it was unforgettable, and, and you know, it was, it was just. Uh, To be able to show that, from a professional standpoint, you can handle all of that in in your first year. I mean, that could have gone sideways pretty easily. But you know, being able to to do all the post game interviews in a in a champagne filled locker room and uh, seeing the players' jubilance at winning uh, the National League pennant and advancing to the World Series, you know, it was it was awesome. And I, I I you know relish those days very much. That those were those were incredible. Uh, moments to be a part of and, and to see unfold and uh, it was thrilling For, unfortunately they, they fell just a little short of winning the whole thing but they got really close and, and could have easily won that World Series in 2015 and you know, hopefully I'll, I'll give it a chance again to, to cover another Mets team that, that gets back to the World Series since
1: so when one of the former Mets play, radio play-by-play announcers, Joshua, left, you were promoted up to the play-by-play announcer along with Howie Rose. So what was that like for
2: you? It was a dream come true. You know, when, uh, you know Josh is a good friend, and, and I like Josh a lot. I uh, was, was sad to see him leave, for sure. Um, but, you know, the, the opportunity then was there for me to, to move up and to be Howie's partner, and, and Howie you know strongly recommended me for that job. Uh, he thought the transition would be pretty easy, and I think it was. And you know, it was—it was everything I've ever wanted to do: was to be a, a full-time big league play-by-play voice. So it was—it was amazing, and I'm, and I'm extremely grateful to the Mets and to WCBS for, for giving me that chance. And, and now having the opportunity to to call as many Mets games as I can, and, and hopefully get back out and, and see some of those soon.
0: So speaking of how rose, has he taught you anything particularly to help you a lot in broadcasting? Because since in like broadcaster's eyes, he's like almost like a legend because he's like really famous and that's like Mets fans. You know, I've listened to him. So has he really taught you anything that has helped you a lot in broadcasting?
2: Yeah, he taught me a lot of things, you know. I think he's he's been uh, in, incredibly rock solid in my corner and, and been an incredible mentor to me. I learn a lot from him just by watching him on a daily basis. Just watching how he goes about his business, who he talks to, you know, what kind of questions he'll ask the manager, and you know, little things like that, just to kind of pick up on what he's seeing and, and what he's paying attention to, and you know, drawing on his history of not only broadcasting the Mets but watching the Mets his entire life. You know, the Mets—he was what seven years old when the Mets. Started playing in 1962, and he's kind of had a, a front row seat for their entire history. So, you know, he's a, he's an amazing guy to be around and, and a great broadcaster to learn from. And you know, he's he's very willing to to listen and to give advice and and to you know kind of talk things out if I'm questioning something. You know, a, a great example that I've mentioned before is is last season when Pete Alonso broke the Mets single season home run record, I had the call and it was a good call and I, I thought it was good, but I asked Howie, you know, what thought to make it better. And he said, you know, try to focus more on the moment than the history of the moment, meaning, you know, focus on what's happening on the field and Pete's reaction and the fans, the players, instead of talking about the history of the moment, because you can always get back to that history. But what's happening right in front of you on the field is the most important thing to describe at that time. And then, you know, it wasn't long after that Pete then broke the rookie home run record set by Aaron Judge, and I was able to be on the call for that and got to implement uh, the things Howie had just told me a few weeks before, and I, I thought it was a, a much better call, and it's, I think, stood out as, as you know, one of the better calls of, of, of that moment for Pete Alonso breaking that record.
1: So we're going to hit you with a few, like, MLB-type questions here, so... How do you
2: feel about baseball resuming? We were really happy, but how? What was your reaction? Well, of course, I'm thrilled. I, I think that it's a it's a it's a major thing for baseball to come back. And you know, even though they didn't quite agree on everything, and, and there's still some bad blood between the players and the owners, it would seem you know, at least there's going to be some games. And I think that's the, a crucial thing: is, is for baseball to be on the field and not lose an entire season here. Now, there's a lot of health safety and and a lot of those protocols that need to be adhered to and implemented and it will be interesting to see how that goes especially considering that I think when you get to camp next week there's going to be a lot of positive tests I mean that's just the way this this virus is right now so many people have it that don't even realize it or that aren't even sick and when what's going to it's going to potentially be an alarming number of people that that test positive next week now if, you know hopefully it's not But I think it's safe to say, especially for the guys who've been kind of in Florida and Arizona, where where a lot of people are testing positive, that you could see a lot of those tests positive next week. So, you know, at at that point, they have to try to make sure that it doesn't spread around, that they can get through this, and that they can play through whatever whatever season they're going to have. So, it's going to be looming over us the whole the whole time. So, you know, it's just something we're going to have to try to deal with, and hopefully, it doesn't get to a point. Where baseball feels like they can't continue.
0: So, speaking of the match, since you work for them, how do you think they'll, they're going to do this year in the sixty-game season that the MLB has agreed on?
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's almost impossible to predict sixty games, right? I, I think over one hundred sixty-two a normal season, you can kind of see you know who's got what working, what what kind of team has been built for for this type of success and and then you kind of play through it, and some teams fall short of that, some teams go beyond it, but you have a general idea of what a team is going to look like. 60 games, you really throw all that out the window because any any team can be hot for two months, you know, and, and it won't take a whole lot to get to the playoffs. You know, 31, 32, 33 wins out of 60 might be enough. And, you know, I feel like almost any team can pull that off, especially – if some te- some players have to be quarantined, you know, what if you lose Jacob Degrom for two weeks to a quarantine and out of a sixty-game season? You know, that's that's over twenty percent of the season. So, it's it's there's a lot to consider. I do think that in the in a season where we're going to have the universal DH, that benefits the Mets a lot because they they really are overloaded as far as their position player talent is concerned. So, a guy like Yoenis Cespedes who wants in, and needs to be in the lineup because of his bat. You know, you won't have to worry about bumping a guy like J.D. Davis to put Cespedes in there because you'll have that extra spot with the D.H.
1: So now we're going to move on to, like, some baseball questions kind of. So, like, just your opinions on different teams of players. So the first one is going to be of DeGrom or Garrett Cole. Like, don't be biased towards the nice
2: well, you know, those are, those are probably the two best pitchers in baseball. Uh, you know, I will say that from from seeing Jacob every fifth day and what he's done the last couple of seasons, it's hard to pick anybody over DeGrom right now. Um, you know, you look at, you, know, you throw the wins out because you really can't control that. But, you know, you see a pitcher who's dominated his league each of the last couple of years. And Garrett Cole, you know, had a, an, an exceptional... 2019 season with Houston, and you know maybe you can you can say that Cole in 2019 was a a bit better than Degrom in 2019, but over the last couple of seasons, you know they're probably a little bit closer to even. And it took Garrett Cole a little while. You know he had had some choppy seasons in Pittsburgh. It wasn't always uh, this dominance. And you know Jacob, I I don't I don't think Jacob has ever had what you would call a, a choppy season. I think he's been really consistent. Really good, and he's only getting better. Uh, so it's an interesting debate. I would I would lean towards Degrom, but you can't you can't certainly discredit what, what Garrett Cole has done the last couple of years.
0: So speaking of Degrom, since it's not the Mets, just team wise, I know all Mets fans hate the Nationals. But if you not being biased, if you have to pick a team that had a better roster, the standpoint, the stats, and all that stuff. Who would you pick?
2: As far as the Mets division.
0: Yeah, just right now. Any who do you think would we'll win that division in 182 games and like the regular, yeah, in a regular season, or in 60 games?
2: Yeah, I know. No, Sixty games is hard to predict. I, 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 really, any of those teams are good enough to win. The Mets, Phillies, Washington, and Atlanta—they could all win a 60-game season. It, that's that's really totally up in the air. I mean, certainly going into the season, it seemed like the Braves were the team that was the most complete, you know, Atlanta's got a very good bullpen that they built around the trade deadline last year, obviously some incredibly dynamic young players uh, with Acuna and Freddie Freeman and these and all those guys, and you know, they won the division the last couple of years, so, um, you know, Washington's coming off a World Series win, although they don't have Anthony Rendon anymore. So. I would say Atlanta was probably the favorite going into the season, but now I think it's just a total, total crapshoot.
1: So, um, since you kind of work in the baseball industry, what you do? Um, what is your thoughts on the Astros cheating scandal?
2: Yeah, it was an you know unfortunate situation to see that play out, and I think baseball did the right thing by by getting in there and investigating and making the decisions that they made some tough decisions certainly taking draft picks away and the suspensions they, they levied on A.J. Hinch and, and Alex Cora and Jeff Lunau the GM of the Astros uh, I think those guys deserved what they got although maybe you know A.J. didn't have a huge hand in it he was still the manager of the team and I hope that those guys Especially for AJ Hinch and Alex Cora, do get opportunities in the future because I, I think that a one-year suspension was what it was. But that shouldn't mean that they are not allowed back in. They shouldn't be blackballed because of that. Um, you know, the Astros players have a lot to answer for still. I think too, and, and you know, it's kind of they kind of lucked out in the sense that they might not play in front of any fans at some point this season because. I think the fans were really going to hammer them throughout the year. They would have been certainly some big-time villains, and uh, it would have been interesting to see that play out and how they would have handled that. But that's still a good team. I I, I wouldn't say that you know Altuve and Bregman and Brantley and all those guys, Correa, were were doing what they were doing because of the sign stealing. That's a very talented group. I think they'll still be a talented group this year, and uh, we'll see how they, they end up playing.
0: So you were recently speaking about Anthony Rendon. So if you had to pick a better player, who would you pick, Alex Bregman or Anthony Rendon? Yeah, I mean, two uh, two very very good third
2: basemen. I, you know, I think Rendon has um, really established himself as a as a star player. He's always been able to hit, and he's he's been able to turn into a very Gold Glove caliber third baseman. You know, Bregman has too. Bregman was uh, the MVP runner up. Uh, last year, so you know, he's a guy who can who can do it all, and uh, certainly a, a great defensive player. I guess if I if I had to pick, I don't know I, if you know I see Rendon a lot, or at least I did. Now that he's with an Angel, the Angels, I won't see him as much. But you know, that's a guy that that can scare you and and can really hammer you if you make a mistake, and and so can Bregman. But I, I think that. You know, for uh, for Rendon, and maybe I'd give him just a, a slight edge.
1: So This one might be tough because what Pete Alonso is a young guy, and then Freddie Freeman's like a more of a veteran. But who would you pick to have on your team if you like
2: between Chris. Pete, Pete, and who?
1: And Freddie Freeman.
2: Well, Freddie's a Freddie's a great established player. I, I think you know that's an answer that will probably change in the next few years because Pete is going to continue to blossom as a as an all-star type player, and he'll get better defensively as he continues to play. You know, Freddie's one of the best defensive first basemen in the league, too, on top of what he does offensively. You know, the Braves are lucky to have Freddie Freeman, and he's a a tremendous player, and and I think Pete's going to be on that level if he's not already very soon.
0: So, if you take a bear, since both these guys were old, but they they, in their primes they were insanely good catchers, so Buster Posey or Yanni Molina?
2: Yeah, Buster was probably a, a much better offensive player than, than Molina. You know, Yachty he, he probably none better defensively than Yachty, but uh, Posey was almost as good on defense as, as Molina and a much better hitter. So I think that that's a little easier of a choice to lean toward Buster Posey. You know, he helped the Giants win three World Series, and, and I think he's a guy who's going to be Hall of Fame bound one day. And Yachty here might be too, but... Uh, I think Buster Posey, you look back on his prime years and he was probably the best catcher of this generation.
1: So, who do you think was more fun to watch, David Wright or Jose Reyes?
2: Well, I guess it just depends on your definition of fun. I mean, Jose Reyes was such a fast, elite-type speed player, a guy who can punch a ball in a gap and get a triple you know he's he's the Mets all-time leader in triples and stolen bases you know he's done a lot with his legs that most people can't do you know david was a different player a skilled defender at third a great hitter guy who could spray the ball all over the field hit a lot of home runs would have easily become the Mets all-time home run leader had he just been able to play a few more years so it just depends on your definition of fun i don't i don't think there's a wrong answer for that because they were both that's fun players to watch in, in very different ways.
0: So, speaking of this great players, a lot of teams have really good players right now. But if you make a prediction, who thinks someone in the World Series? I know you said every team has a shot, but who thinks like the front runners right now? In your opinion?
2: Well, I think going in, you know, you, you kind of keep the same thought that you had going in, right? You know, the Yankees are going to be a, a, a favorite. The Dodgers are going to be a favorite, and, and then. You know, you see how it boils down over sixty games. I you're going to have a, a freshness to the pitchers that you might not have had. You know, going into October, you're at the very end of a long season. It's tough, and, and the pitchers are gassed. I mean, it's, it's a different look. You know, in this case, by the time you get to the playoffs, at that point, the pitchers are going to be just hitting their stride. You know, even with the short spring training, it's going to take a little bit once the season begins for the pitchers to really feel like themselves. So by September and into October. You know, the pitcher is going to be at full strength, so it's going to be a totally different look to the playoffs than what we're used to. Um, you know, a team like the Mets gets in. Why Jacob Degrom can really power through in October uh, more so than even usual. So it's going to be interesting. I, I would lean myself towards any team that is stacked from a pitching standpoint, and that points you right back in Washington: Scherzer and Strasburg. I think more than more than ever, pitching in the playoffs this year will be of the utmost importance. So if you find a team that really has a, a, a head and shoulders difference from a pitching standpoint than the others, then I think that's the team that really is going to make the most noise.
1: So our last question today is going to be a mess question for you. So do you think Edwin Diaz and Jerry's familiar will bounce back and then Dylan Patances will return to like his 15-16 type form?
2: Yeah, I'm interested in, in looking at Batantas. You know, he was he was slow to come around in spring training. Uh, I think he was just starting to get there when, when the pandemic came and, and wiped everything out. You know, he clearly didn't have the same velocity on his fastball that he usually does, but, you know, he's, he's working his way back from some tough stuff that happened to him last year. So I'm interested to see what he looks like now because we, we haven't really gotten many updates. We don't really know how these players and pitchers have progressed since the end of spring training uh, when it comes to Diaz I think that's just a guy with an incredible amount of talent that is going to find his way back to success I don't think there's any question about it with Diaz you know a lot of what happened last year was a bit fluky He gave him 15 home runs last season and you know part of that was the ball and part of that was just whatever was happening to him so I think there's no question Diaz will bounce back He's still got the same stuff that he did in Seattle. He's still striking guys out like crazy. So I think he'll be fine. You know, Familia is going to be an interesting one to watch, too, because he had the, the major weight loss over the offseason, looked like a totally different guy. Looked like He looked like he was 10 years younger after losing all that weight and getting into the shape that he did. So, you know, he did everything right to get back to form, and then once the games start, you just have to see how his stuff looks. Uh, but, you know, he's still uh, he's still got, I think, an opportunity to show that he's a better pitcher than what he did last year.
0: So that's going to wrap up our podcast, and thanks so much, Wayne, for joining us again. We really, really do appreciate it. And to our listeners, please make sure to donate to our GoFundMe charity to help COVID-19 relief, which the link is in our bio on Instagram. And please comment, follow, and drop a like and a five-star on our podcast on Spotify, Apple, and SoundCloud. Thanks so much, Wayne, and have a great day and stay safe. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank
1: you guys for listening. Um, Everyone stay safe out there. We hope you like this podcast. Peace. Thank
0: you.